invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. We come this morning to the 10th commandment, as I pray we will see a sort of a fitting conclusion to our time in this study of God's law. Would you bow with me as we prepare to go to His Word? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your law. We thank You for the way Your law points us to Your holiness and to the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. So would You shape us in Him this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the Word of the Lord. Last week after service, we were gathered outside and someone came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm really kind of dreading next week. (laughs) Uh, This person said, I'm not wearing open-toed shoes because I feel like you're going to be stepping all over me. (laughs) We laughed, but it was that knowing kind of laugh, that knowing kind of laugh that acknowledged that we both understand how guilty we are of coveting. Yet knowing the struggle, struggle that probably all of us would on some level acknowledge, we're also at the same time tempted to relegate the Tenth Commandment to lesser status. Why is that? Maybe because it seems less tangible. We've talked about the law as is consisting of two tables. The first table, the first four commandments speaking to our relationship to God. And the next table, the next six commandments uh, speaking to our relationship to man. The second table uh, has been fairly explicitly uh, outward focused. Uh, we, we've heard prohibitions against Uh, murder, theft, adultery, lying, uh, outward actions. Now we had to go to see how Jesus further explained those commandments to be speaking to the depths of the heart. But here in the 10th commandment, it is different. The 10th commandment is explicitly inward. Which on one hand makes it easier for us to see and recognize our guilt all of us deal with this issue of the heart of coveting. And yet, at the same time, we're tempted to minimize. We're tempted to just accept it. In our advertising culture, coveting is even celebrated. So what's at stake? What is the impact, the tangible Impact. Are we really hurting anyone when we covet? Let's define our terms. How about that? What do we mean by this word coveting? Well, to covet is, is to have an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something, anything that is not ours. 
this word, translated as, as covet, in Exodus 20, 17, was actually used of Eve in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What was Eve's sin? What was the sin that brought a very tangible impact to Eve, to Adam, to all mankind, and even to creation? An inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something that was not hers. We think about the fall. We think about the first sin, the sin that ushered in sin, and and we think to her taking of the fruit. We focus on the act of eating. But that act of eating was merely the outworking of her covetous desire. Look, we minimize, we excuse, we even embrace covetousness, but the Bible does no such thing. The Bible tells us that this sin of covetousness is what ushered in the fall. Coveting is serious. Because we think about that and think about coveting as a as desire for something, not ours. Is the Bible then saying that desire itself is bad? Some teaching actually seems to go there. Kevin DeYoung in his helpful book on the Ten Commandments makes the point rather well that the Bible actually commends desire in its proper place. Look, if we were to study the book of Proverbs, as we did a couple of years ago, we saw that the the book of Proverbs uh, puts forward planning, puts forward hard work as a way to to improve our, our place. So desiring in and of itself some kind of advancement is not automatically wrong. Desire itself is not bad. Bad desire is bad. So what is bad desire? It's desire for the wrong things. And it's desiring good things wrongly. That reminds us that the covetousness is an issue of the heart, but coveting also has an object and an impact. The Apostle Paul speaks a lot about coveting in the New Testament. There's even some indication that, that coveting might have been this thorn in the flesh that he could not get rid of. He, he seems to speak of it often as, as his, his indwelling sin. And when Paul would talk about coveting, he, he in a sense, truncates the, the, the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. He stops right there. It's a pretty good summary of the Tenth Commandment. And it's enough, really. You shall not covet, but what we just read in Exodus 20, 17 goes beyond. It gives specific examples of the ways in which we covet. Not to limit our coveting to those examples, to unpack for us the creativity of our hearts. We covet what belongs to our neighbor. Do you covet your neighbor's house? How about their yard? How about their new kitchen? 
Did you go over your neighbor's wife? How about the vacation he just took with his wife? How about their relationship? Do you covet your neighbor's ox or donkey? How about the car? How about their zero-turn mower? You see the text in the 10th commandment in Exodus 2017 is, is offering some specifics, but those specifics are meant to draw out the breadth of our coveting to show us how creative we can be in our sin. And yet, as we think about the specific objects of our coveting, we need to understand that there is very much a relational impact to our coveting. When we covet what belongs to our neighbor, that coveting impacts our relationship with our neighbor. We've used the Westminster Confession of Faith as a, as a bit of a, a framework for exploring these commandments. And you've heard as we've looked at the, the catechisms that there, there are uh, prohibitions and requirements for each of the commandments. Listen to those when it comes to the 10th commandment. What's forbidden? All manner of discontentment with our own state envying or grieving at the good state of our neighbors and all excessive feelings and desires for anything that belongs to them. Okay. What's required? Full contentment. With our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Let me translate that for you. Okay. The Westminster Confession of Faith is rightly pointing out that when we covet, we're not just coveting stuff. The sin is not just directed towards the stuff. The Tenth Commandment speaks to contentment, and the Tenth Commandment speaks to jealousy. Let's talk about this issue of contentment. To be content is to recognize that what God has provided is enough. And to be thankful. In our confession, we read the Apostle Paul's words. He learned what it, what it meant to be content in plenty and in want. What a statement. Oh, that we could say the same. But the problem is when we think about contentment, we tend to think that I will be content when I have X dollars in the bank or when I have X toys in the closet. In other words, in other words we tend to think of contentment as a, as a destination, as a, as a certain level of of achievement or accumulation. And when I get to that level of achievement or accumulation, then... At that point, I'll be content. What Paul is telling us, the Bible is telling us, contentment is not a destination, it's a part of the journey. It's calling us to be content, not with what we have. Contentment has nothing to do with what we have. It has everything to do with our relationship with God and our trusting and resting in Him, whether in plenty or in want. So the Tenth Commandment is an issue of contentment, but it's also an issue of jealousy. 
when we have an unhealthy desire for someone else's stuff, we also have an unhealthy relationship with that person. When we envy or grieve at the good of another, rather than loving them well, we are in effect wishing them ill will. So let's do a little case study. How's that? Has anyone seen the HGTV show Hometown Takeover? Hometown Takeover, Wetumpka? It's been pretty big in our household because Anna's family has roots in Wetumpka. And so her, her parents in North Carolina have loved this TV show that takes them back to their roots. The whole family's been watching it and we've had a good time. It's kind of an interesting show that could be a side illustration for a lot of other things like, say, church planting. But that's another discurs- discussion for another day because what's going on in this hometown takeover is that uh, Ben and Aaron are going in and doing some strategic renovations in a town and with the hopes that with those strategic renovations it will spur a broader movement of renovation revitalization. It's cool to watch. Understand that when they're doing this, they actually are acting on the desire for something better. But here's the question. How is your heart when you watch this show or whatever home renovation show you watch? Where does your heart go? Are you able to celebrate with the family that is receiving? Or does it fuel covetous desire? Watching shows like this, does it breed discontentment with your own home? Do you find yourself coveting that new kitchen? Do you find yourself silently or maybe not so silently (laughs) envying their good fortune and maybe even talking about how you are much more deserving than this family to receive this gift of a renovation. Maybe let's think about it this way. If desire in and of itself is not bad, where is it that we cross the line from desire to coveting? Maybe when it dominates our thinking. Do you find yourself daydreaming about that new refrigerator? (laughs) Does it occupy your thought life? and push everything else to the side? Maybe we cross the line from desire to covetousness when it breeds dissatisfaction. Do you find yourself dissatisfied, discontented with your deck, with your grill, with your front door? (laughs) Maybe when it fuels anxiety. Got to make this change now, and I can't rest until I do. Where does desire cross the line to covetousness? Maybe when we ask ourselves, where is Jesus in this desire? I've come to believe that much of evangelicalism is preaching a veiled gospel that is coveting God coveting what we can get from God and desiring what we can get from God more than we are desiring God. Where is Jesus in our desires? 
that's where we've ultimately got to go. You see, coveting is ultimately a spiritual matter with a spiritual solution. Yes, it's got a relational impact between man and man, but not merely between man and man. Ultimately, and maybe even primarily, our coveting is an issue between God and man. Go back to the garden. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Eve. Eve's sin was less about actually taking that fruit and more about coveting what was not hers. But notice that Eve wasn't coveting something that belonged to her neighbor. Eve was coveting something that belonged to God. But again, it wasn't merely the thing. It wasn't merely the fruit. It was the lie that God was holding out on her. That somehow his heart was not good for her. That something was lacking in his provision and she needed to take matters into her own hands to right the wrong. That was the lie of Satan. It was the first lie and it has been the root of every lie since. It's the lie that breeds discontentment with the Lord our God and with his provision for us. So behind the 10th commandment, we see this call to contentment. And not just contentment with God's provision of material goods, of physical health, of interpersonal relationships. It ultimately is a call to contentment with God Himself. And it points us to an important and fundamental truth about the 10th commandment and about the commandments in general. This 10th commandment, it It forms a set of bookends with the first commandment. The first told us that we are to have no other gods before Him. Meaning that the Lord our God is all. The Lord our God is enough. That's how we started. The tenth commandment tells us not to covet, but that we should be content. And our contentment is to be in Him. It's to be in Him. And when we are not content in Him, we place other things, other gods before Him. We supplement the Lord our God with these other things. And that discontentment with God is what is behind every other sin. There's a sense in which our time in the Ten Commandments has been the equivalent of a ten-round boxing match. (laughs) And with every round, we've received another blow to the notion of our self-sufficiency and our self-righteousness. But here, in the tenth round, we get the knockout blow. Because here... In the 10th round, we can't hide behind this false notion that, hey, just because I didn't pull the trigger on the gun, I'm not guilty. Here in the 10th round, we see what is implicit in all of the other commandments. The 10th commandment makes explicit that sin is a matter of the heart, and all of us are guilty. So if all of us are guilty before the Lord our God, what are we to do? Listen, are you listening? 
Are you listening? Because at this point, finally having received the knockout blow, this is where it gets good. Because standing face to face with the reality of our sin, standing face to face with the, the, the crushing weight of the debt that has been accrued due to our sin, God does not give us a repayment plan. God does not renegotiate the terms. Face to face with our covetous hearts, God does not say stop wanting. Instead, He says elevate your desire. Friends, we keep going back to Genesis. You and I, We're created in the image of God, and that means that we were created for a relationship with the Lord our God. And that relationship is meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be fulfilling. But in our sin, we've we've sought that fulfillment in lesser things. Lesser things that will never satisfy. And the law exposes this sinful search. The law condemns this sinful search. But the law was never meant to solve this sinful search. The law only brings curse. And that is why Galatians 3 helps us see the fitting conclusion to the commandments. Condemned and cursed before God. This passage in Galatians 3, 10-14 points us to the redemption we have in Jesus. Not through works of the law, but through faith in Him. Galatians 3, 10-14 For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Do you understand that when Jesus was hung on the cross, He became a curse by taking the curse that was due us on Himself and in exchange He gave us His perfect righteousness and that is a righteousness we would never receive by obedience to the law it can only be received through faith in the one who has come to satisfy the law friends Jesus became a curse so that in him we might have life that is where all of the law has been pointing us and that faith the Galatians 3 made explicit a faith that Exodus 20 pointed us to is a believing, trusting, relational faith. It is a replacement of lesser desires with a greater desire. St. Augustine of Hippo understood this as well as anyone. Augustine is beloved church father, profound theologian, But his journey was one that took him through an early life of covetousness played out in rampant sexuality 
sexual immorality, and petty theft. I don't laugh at that. I laugh at the notion that Satan would use that to thwart his church. But ultimately, the Lord brought Augustine to the point of seeing that what he had been searching for all along was to be found in Jesus Christ alone. And so we read Augustine's words. This is meditation for worship and a conclusion for our sermon. Augustine captured it all for us as he said, Lord God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Friends, our time and the commandments have been shaping. They have been exposing. And they have been inviting. They invite us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer to our covetous desire. Because He is the better desire. He, and He alone, is the one who has made atonement for our sin. So let us set our hearts on Him and Him alone. Father, You are holy, holy, holy. Your law is good. Your law is true. Your law shapes our hearts, but Your law does not justify us. Jesus alone justifies us. And so I pray, trusting in His justification, we would see more clearly and more beautifully what life in Him looks like through the law. Bless us each and every one in this way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.